hashtag not all sloths. And <laughs> Start the movement. <laughs> so the, the very slow movement. <laughs> Welcome to the dirt. Today we are talking about some breaking news in archaeology. That's the official breaking news noise. We're talking about the new discovery of the oldest known human footprints in North America. This is coming from British Columbia, Canada, our friendly neighbor to the north. And the discovery was was first made in 2014. And archaeologists were digging in the sands of Calvert Island, British Columbia, and they found a single footprint. So this seemingly, is hmm? this, this is the a new discovery that happened four years ago. A new discovery that was just published because it took them until then to reveal a total of twenty eight footprints. So the first Whoa! footprint was discovered in twenty fourteen, and uh, they have since uh, uncovered a much larger chunk of that same level where they have found 28 footprints and they are believed to be the oldest human tracks ever found in North America. So these footprints are remarkably well-preserved and in some of them you can even see the arch toe and heel marks, so the separate marks of a walking foot, and that also means that these people were barefoot. Seems chilly. And the prints appear to have been made by at least three individuals, and based on the size of the tracks, the researchers believe that they belong to two adults and a child. And maybe the coolest part of this, like the coolest, most serendipitous part of this serendipitous discovery, is that there were a couple of little pieces of preserved wood found in the footprints, and so they could radiocarbon date those pieces of wood, and they uh, found that the impressions are between 13,000 and 13,300 years old. So that is the oldest um, that we know for sure that people, uh, human people, were in North America. So um, one of the neatest things about this that I found uh, when researching is that the local um, First Nations people, so First Nations is the, the Canadian version of Native Americans in the U.S., right? First Nations people, uh, the the Wicano, um, it's spelled W-U-I-K-I-N-U-X-V, which is not a combination of consonants that I am equipped to deal with. Uh, so I looked it up, and it's uh, pronounced Wicanux or Owicano. So we'll see. Write in if you belong to that group, please, and, and let us know the correct pronunciation. So so those folks have long spoken of a time when most of Canada was under glacial ice and their ancestors fished and foraged along this little coastal margin between the ice and the open ocean. And so um, it's really cool that this set of footprints was found pretty much exactly where, based on this oral history, people have said it would be. It's like, told you so. <laughs> right. Um, yeah. And that's something that happens more often than any non-native researchers would ever like to admit, <laughs> where there is indigenous knowledge 
um, that is that is passed through means that aren't necessarily recognized by the academy, but right. that so holds like, like valid, valuable book, data. So. Yeah, exactly. And so this is just another like really brilliant example of indigenous yes. knowledge being exactly that, being knowledge. So there's been all this debate about um, when people first got to the Americas, because as we've discussed before, the the humans, the development of the human race, Homo sapiens, um, first came out of Africa. And so since North America is not connected to Africa uh, by Correct. any land means, um, there's all this debate about how people got there, when they got there, um, and archaeological material and genetic studies both suggest that people first ventured into the Americas via a land bridge which existed between Asia and Alaska. Any further travel would have been blocked by two massive ice sheets that covered most of Canada until about 10,000 years ago. But scientists keep finding signs of human presence thousands and thousands of years before that. So in Washington, fairly recently, um, they uncovered a mastodon rib with a stone point buried in it. So ah, definitely so metal. signs of human... I know. Uh, so in, in Chile, they have found chipped tools and burned bones from way before 10,000 years ago. In Oregon, they... Or Oregon, I guess, as normal people pronounce it. They found <laughs> fossilized feces containing ancient human DNA. Wait. Um, what? Yeah, poop. So... No, well, yes. But I don't know. How'd that human I don't know. DNA get in there? Well, that's the thing. It contains ancient human DNA. So I don't know if this is poop from a human or poop containing a human. Or both. Unclear. Oh, or both. What a twist. Anyway, uh, cool job, Oregon. Regardless of when people got to North America, um, the question is also how. So for years, it was thought that people followed sort of a, a ice-free corridor. So like ice Moses parted the glaciers between uh, these two ice sheets. And um, that's losing traction a little bit. And now scientists are increasingly favoring something called the Kelp Highway hypothesis, what? which I love. The Kelp Highway. I don't it's don't like Route 66, about- but seaweedy. Um, so this is basically, there's this incredibly rich... Uh, reef kelp bed environment uh, extending down kind of the Pacific Northwest coast, like all the way down to as far as the Channel Islands, California's Channel Islands. And so the idea is that people from across the Pacific may have followed this really rich um, source of aquatic marine resources, um, which meant they they would have uh, boat technology, presumably, um, and eventually they got to the North American mainland. So the only problem with that is that any evidence of the first Americans' coastal presence would have been submerged when those ice sheets melted. So it, there's really no way of knowing for sure um, because the sea levels, for the most part, rose about 400 feet. So any evidence of... Um, who may have been there and when they were there is now underwater and we can't get to it. But that is where Calvert Island, where these footprints that we're talking about uh, were discovered. That's why it's so special because partly because of the way that those ice sheets pressed down on the mainland, um, 
the sea levels off of this part of the Canadian coast were only about six to 10 feet different from where they are today. So the footprints that were there never actually got submerged underwater. That's just the most insane coincidence. Yeah. Yeah. And so, okay. So melting ice caused sea levels to rise. So does it stand to reason that we could go, one could go 400 feet out and find stone tools? Yeah, there are entire submerged settlements off of the, at least the West coast of the U S that I know of. Um, I'm not cool enough to immediately pull like names and papers and authors to mind. But but this is like a form of marine archeology span that doesn't depend on like bronze age shipwrecks. (laughs) Yeah. It's not all statues of Zeus. Yes. (laughs) This, this, Coincidence involved. So what are the odds, first of all, of footprints preserving for thousands and thousands of years? First of all, they have to be in the right place, in the right kind of mud or sand or ash. Um, And then not only that, they have to be covered up soon enough or dry out soon enough that they preserve as the impressions of human feet. And then thousands of years later, someone has to dig in the right place to find them. It's insane. So you would think, based on just sort of the bare statistics of it that you just wouldn't ever find human footprints. But then if you think about how many people are in the world, there'd be nothing but in the footprints. world footprints all the way down. So maybe it evens out. Maybe there were so many footprints that the likelihood of finding them. Well, the point I'm trying to make is that this isn't the only example of, of ancient human footprints being preserved in uh, archeological well, and context. not not just not just humans, yeah, other creatures as well. <laughs> yeah, dun, dun, dun. yeah. Let me um, let me tell you a story here. Okay, okay. So we're talking about ten thousand years ago, you know, mm-hmm. ten thousand BC, as it were. Um, what a superb movie documentary! You mean? Uh, I'm sorry. Yes, the documentary Ten Thousand BC. Yes. So, yeah, sometime between 10,000 and 15,000 years ago, um, there lived a giant ground sloth. So, you know, you know, ground sloth? How giant? Um, Like relatively giant, about a metric ton. So just like a metric ton of pure, hairy, lumbering power. That's magnificent. Just sound, yeah, I would like... You imagine these pristine... Is it proportionally slower? It's larger. Is it slower? <laughs> you don't know. I yeah. mean, I, 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 I'm not really expecting you to know. No, but I, like... think, I think they actually moved more quickly. Okay. Um, because powerful. I would... Yeah, I, I'm just going to guess here. I'm, I'm going to... Because I am not an evolutionary biologist. Nor a slothologist. Yes. But I would think that they would adapt to getting by with less and less energy expended. And probably they're actually not spending that much time in a tree if they weigh a metric ton. Well, that the clue there is ground sloth. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's not like it's not like ground beef. <laughs> this is made from a hundred percent ground sloth. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's not funny at all, but it is getting me. Oh man. Okay, so this little this little big guy, this little ground sloth, mm-hmm. um, he was wandering around the lakeshore in what's now southern New Mexico. 
Okay. Um, so it was, you know, you know the, the climate was a little bit different then. The terrain was a little bit different. So he was just kicking it by the lake. Uh-huh. And then something spooked it. He reared up on his hind legs. He swatted at his attackers. And then he was lost to the ages. So I read this in Science Magazine. And uh-huh. that dramatic scene has been preserved for us for millennia as the first ever trackways. And so trackways is what we call fossilized footprints that may chronicle human hunters in action against big prey. So the the twist there was that they were humans that attacked it. So in some cases, the human prints lie inside of those of the sloths, indicating hot pursuit. So you got the sloth I mean, running, you got the humans running after it. It's like pretty amazing, right? As much as I love the cinematic nature of this story, just because you find a footprint inside another footprint, like I could go for a walk on the beach and do that thing that little kids tend to do where you step inside, you know, daddy's big footprint. Like just, it doesn't mean that all of these individuals actually encountered one another. So maybe the sloth just kind of do 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 wandered past doing his sloth thing. And then also some people went by later. Yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah. And I, that's probably the case for some of them, but there's there's reasoning behind this. Oh, okay. I'm not just I'm just making it up. Um so <laughs> Matthew Bennett, um this is this is from Science Magazine this year. Matthew Bennett is a sedimentologist at Bournemouth. Um it's a university in Poole, UK. Uh he and his colleagues focused on recreating the actual shape of the paths taken by the sloth. Can you imagine okay. how much fun that would be? It's my sediments exactly. (laughs) Uh, So when a sloth trackway isn't near any of the other footprints, it generally takes a straight or slightly curving path. So I guess Mm -hmm. if a sloth walked forever, it would just end up making a big circle. I don't know. That's a philosophical premise that I'm not prepared to deal with right now. So, okay, so this is just a, like, yeah, you know, if a sloth is alone in a, in the woods <laughs> and it keeps walking, will it make a circle? Uh, but we don't know because there were human footprints nearby. Right, so okay. a sloth's path sometimes takes sharp turns or indicates that the animal reared up on their hind legs, which, have you seen uh, ground sloth skeletons? Have you seen I mean, yeah, their, have. they're like, they're, they're very, all very like big. fingers and claws. I mean, that's yeah. also what sloths look like. They're kind. They're not not cute. If that thing reared no, up at they're me, they're not the sloth that the internet loves so much. Yeah. So rearing up on their hind legs, it would have would have like. Yeah, it would have been like a sloth shaped grizzly bear. Oh my is like god! What I'm yeah. trying to equate the experience yeah, yeah, yeah. to. Um, so yeah, so they got their sharp little claws, um, and so they would be defending themselves, and they so they'd swivel to and fro. So just imagine like a bear rooted to the ground. Swiveling back. This isn't a video uh, call anymore, but you can see me doing it. So I got my I got my claws up and I'm swiveling. So I'm imagining it and it's great. So this is in, when when the human footprints happen near the sloth footprints. Yeah, the sloth yeah. footprints indicate that it reared up and and yeah, so wiggled you've got, around. You've got sloth trackways where there's no human prints nearby and they're just doing their sloth thing. Then you've got sloth trackways near human trackways, and they are freaking out. And so they create these smeared out tracks and sort of arc-shaped scuff marks um, that Bennett et al. are calling, quote, flailing circles, end quote. It's basically me since I graduated from college. Flailing circles. <laughs> and um, this, like, this instance is the first uh, report 
of flailing circles. So they actually were able to, um, what we, one can't say prove, but they were able to give a lot of plausibility to the suggestion that we that we now have a recorded instance of humans v. ground sloth. That's fascinating. Which, it's super fascinating. It's just cool to no. see, not like you said, not proof, but it's cool to see, you know those dance notations where you see the footprints and then you see the arrows and stuff indicating how you're supposed to cha-cha I or super samba? Doubt. Oh, okay. Well, <laughs> we're going to put pictures of that up on okay. the Instagram so we can explain what I mean so to I don't Amber. sound like such a dum-dum. Um, yeah, it's like a dance diagram, but sloth. So, okay. So that was that was like what somewhere between ten and fifteen thousand years ago. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Um, and it's that's that's where fossil f- footprints kind of max out in North America. Um, so I will, if we move, skip over to a different continent, I will see your fifteen thousand years and raise you uh, to a set of footprints that's eight hundred and fifty thousand years old. But are there sloths? Um, they're not sloth, no. This is uh, the Happisburg footprints, which is in what is currently uh, Britain, the UK. And I hope I'm pronouncing it correctly. It's one of those things where it's ha- it's spelled Happisburg, but maybe it's pronounced like cheddar. So these are the oldest human footprints found outside of Africa, and they are dated between 850 and 950,000 years ago. And they were discovered um, on the beach at Hapisburg in Norfolk. Within a couple of weeks, the tides that exposed the prints actually destroyed them. But fortunately, um, archaeologists who had been alerted of these footprints' existence had already taken casts and 3D images and um, used photogrammetry, which is where you take lots and lots of photographs that... um, overlap one another and then you use software to stitch those photos together so you get this cool like movable it's like when you do the facebook 360 degree photo it stitches together all those photographs and makes sort of a draggable movable image of a 3d object so and that's um, using that often uses like drones right often it can be done on a lot of different scales so sometimes if you want an image of Uh, a settlement or you know a larger geographic area yeah you can use a drone but you can also just I mean I have iPhone an iPhone app that does it Um, you can just take a whole bunch of pictures that overlap and then say hey stitch it together and the phone will magically do it and then you've got this really cool kind of globe that you can move around in Um, yeah so I mean on I, I imagine that that's sort of the scale of photogrammetry that was used for these footprints um, of a little group that had passed that way 850,000 or so years ago. So they were not walking along a British coastline that we would recognize today. So they were walking along the estuary of what may have been the original course of the Thames River. And so this would have been a river valley where there were mammoths and hippos and rhinoceroses. Sir Roy. Right. Rhinoceroy. Yes. Thank you, Greek scholar. Um, uh, can we so pattern... can we take a moment um, and tell me what an yeah. estuary is? Yeah. So an estuary is great where at plurals, a bad freshwater at... moving. So usually a freshwater river or yes. stream 
um, empties out into a saltwater body of water. So in this case, the ocean. Um, and so the estuary is the area between those two things that is sort of half and half salt and fresh water. So it's this brackish, marshy area. Um, and it's often a really, really diverse place in terms of wildlife and, and vegetation because it's full of species that can tolerate, uh, often often the species can tolerate both salt and, and fresh water if they're sort of mixed together. So um, it's a really rich place to be looking for food, which is exactly what researchers think this little group of people who walked through there so long ago were doing. So never mind the mammoths and hippos and rhinoceroi. Um, the pattern of the prints suggests that they were sort of walking along the bank of uh, what is now the Thames, um, kind of poodling around, pausing, and, and gathering things like plants or shellfish, and the prints included children. And this makes sense because in hunter-gatherer groups, um, children can be resource collectors too. They don't just, they're not just passive individuals that need to be babysat. Um, you can give them things to do and collect that are small and they don't a lot, involve a lot of hunting skill, like plants and shellfish. So what you're saying is we should repeal child labor laws? I'm saying that if you are foraging in the wilderness, bring the kids. Okay. Family activity. Yeah. No, I'm not saying that I'm not saying they should go work in coal mines. I'm saying they should pick berries. You heard it here first. I guess. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. No, so, so these prints are more than twice the age of, of the previous record holder for Europe from southern Italy, um, and those dated to around 345,000 years ago. So knocked that out of the park. Sorry, Italy. Um, okay. okay, so we're probably not going to find, unless we've totally miscalculated, um, it's unlikely that we'll find older footprints than that, just by what you're saying about... Yeah, in Europe, yes. Um. I am reluctant to say anything definite there. Okay, okay. Because chances are I'll say that and then tomorrow will be published one billion year old footprints in Belgium. I don't know. I'm just I'm just really wary of making definite proclamations. <laughs> okay, but it is okay. Well, regardless. That's Almost a million years ago. That's insane. Nearly. Nearly. Rounding Nearly. rounding well up. Okay, yeah. That's a good point. That's something else that, that happens in like in dealing with the depths of time. Yeah, in reporting. Because it's one thing to round up from, from 59 to 60 years. But it's another thing to round up from 50 million to... You know, yeah, like the difference between nine hundred fifty thousand and a million is fifty thousand years, which, in terms of our puny little lifespans, you know, it's it's sort of simpler to almost break it down to not being able to understand the yeah the sheer depth. Yeah, yeah, I'm really. I'm, I'm, yeah, brain. tell me about more footprints before we each have an existential okay. yeah, crisis. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, this might this might do it. Mm. Um, so. <laughs> So there's even older footprints, like, yeah, like pre-human footprints. And so right. these are in, is it Laetoli or Laetoli? I've always said Laetoli. Okay. Um, 
the Lytoli footprints. Um, they were most likely made by our good friends, Australopithecus afarensis. Mm-hmm. You will remember this from uh, episode two when we talked about the tongue child. Yeah, so Australopithecus afarensis is a relative of the tongue child uh, that belonged to a slightly different species. So it was Australopithecus africanus. Afarensis is a very close relative, but not exactly the same. Cousins. They're cousins. Cousins. Okay. Right. Uh, So the entire footprint trail that was found is almost 27 meters. It's about 88 feet. Um, 88 88 human feet? Oof. Um, 88 linear feet. 27 meters long. And (laughs) includes impressions of about 70 early human footprints. So 70 feet. Oh, good grief. (laughs) <laughs> this is why metric is important. <laughs> my my dumb dumb jokes aren't helping. Oh man, I am really struggling here. This is mind blowing. And so this was three point six million years ago. That's so many million. That is so long ago, and that was in what is now Lytoli, Tanzania. And this was two early humans, but they weren't humans, and they weren't the tongue child. They were australopiths. Yes, they were australopiths. Um, they walked through wet volcanic ash, you know, like a, a romantic stroll, perhaps. Yeah, you go with your sweetheart and walk through the ash fields. That's so nice. A little picnic. And uh, shortly thereafter, the nearby volcano erupted again. And subsequent oh, layers okay. of... They died. Uh, but we don't know how. We don't know who they were. But when the nearby volcano erupted again, subsequent layers of ash covered and preserved what it, what we now know to be the currently the oldest footprints of early humans. <laughs> Man, I just like a lot of qualifiers. So the right. oldest ones that we found so far. Yeah, an archaeologist's best friend. So far, probably likely. Anyway. 3.6 million years. That's just so old. Yeah, so uh, these were found when... Um, Members of the team led by um, a lady you may have heard of, Mary Leakey. Mm. Whiskey drinking, Dalmatian having, cigar smoking, badass. Yep. So she was a paleontologist Mm -hmm. um, and member of the Leakeys. Uh, They stumbled upon animal tracks that were cemented in the volcanic ash. And this was in 1976 that they found them. Uh, Mm -hmm. It wasn't until 1978 that... Paul Abel joined Leakey's team and found the 27-meter-long footprint trail that mm-hmm. we now refer to as the Laetoli pr- footprints. Um, and that includes, as we said, about 70 early human footprints. That's so cool. That is so cool. That is so cool. And so what's even cooler is to think that these footprints weren't left by humans like you or me. These are left by early humans. So... So the but are the footprints? I mean, would I see them and think, oh, those are people prints? I mean, kind of. You'd be like, what's up with those big toes? Um, <laughs> so they so they were bipedal. So there were only two feet represented in in the <laughs> footprints and like in each trackway. Um, and they had big toes that were in line with the rest of their foot. Hey, I have those. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, so that's what humans have. Yeah, humans have that. I'm looking at my feet now. Uh, I had to take off my shoe to confirm that I was more <laughs> human-like than ape-like. 
And because uh, apes have highly divergent big toes, so they're 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 more thummy. Yeah, so, so they got kind of thummy toes. If um, you're in a if you're in a zoo, you know, chimpanzee feet really look like hands. Yeah, it's a little yeah. unsettling. Yep, and so that's what helps them climb and grasp materials and get up, scramble up the trees. Uh, but these guys didn't have that. Um, they they had more human feet. So you can tell from the footprints, the gait of the early humans. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's called heel strike. So this is not <laughs> like bird strike. This is heel strike. Uh, it sounds he- so like badass and, and martial art. Like heel strike. Heel strike. And what that huh. means is the heel of the foot hits first, followed by toe off where the toes push off at the end of the strike. And that's what oh, we that's do. It's just a regular... Yeah, Man, a like regular. every time I'm just like, this sounds familiar. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Meanwhile, I'm sitting here in my chair, like walking in my chair. Oh, no, like I'm doing, doing it too. Heel toe, heel with, toe, yeah. heel toe. I went I from... I have often wished that I had divergent, like, like monkey feet for, you know... Picking stuff up. Picking stuff up. I would like to be able to paint my toenails with my other foot wow or just like better climbing but not as good walking so that's the that's the trade-off i do enjoy walking and running but but these guys these two guys in latoli were really nailing the whole walking thing yeah and they were and that's one of the most useful parts of the latoli footprints is that it's proof that um Australopithecus afarensis walked with a very human-like stride. And had this been debated? Was this something that the that scholars were like, oh, they were more hobbly or they walked like... <laughs> well, it's they... not that they hobbled, <laughs> but there's a couple things about the footprints that indicate that the stride, it, while mechanically it's similar to a human stride, um, for example, the, the prints themselves are closer together so they would have had sort of shorter legs and i mean one of the things that differentiates human walking from apes that sometimes stand up and walk bipedally like you you would see chimps get up and sort of waddle uh occasionally but something that is very different is that apes tend to have very short legs and quite long arms and we tend to have much longer legs so this is sort of not midway you know transitionally between that kind of body structure and then also um i think without footprints uh anthropologists are really just looking at the bones of the foot and seeing how different and similar they are from human and ape feet and so i think a little bit of the mechanics of walking is a bit uh speculative until you actually see the prints of an animal doing it and it's it's almost as good as especially with the computer technology we have now and sort of the things that you could do to replicate a little digital australopith mm-hmm. doing that walking and creating those footprints you can probably really accurately recreate exactly how their body moved and that's really really cool because we can't go back in time we can't go back and watch them so this is really as close as we can get to a record of movement which a lot of the the fossil record seems always seems so static. It's like a, a frozen moment in time, but this is actually a frozen moment of of action. 
Yeah, so it's like it's like a GIF. It's oh, it's, it's a, a GIF. paleo GIF. It's, it's a GIF from antiquity. So this, yeah, and I think that I think you really hit on why um, this is like so wild to us, and why people get so excited about this, or they get so excited about this sort of capturing a moment of action, whether it's like hunting a ground sloth or strolling <laughs> across the the like ashy volcanic plain. Like it's something or, that you know, first footprints in North America. Like that's. Again, I mean, th- those were definitely already human, but the f- fact that they were there. Right. Like th- is... that you have this this evidence that it's not just like remains or it's not or you have like a family, what looks like a family, like looking for lunch. Yeah. Like it's something that's much more human. Yeah, exactly. It puts humanity into um, what can sometimes seem a little bit of a, a sterile. Yeah. Um, clinical science and it's it really especially the fact that it's a family group i think is just yeah. the idea of of kids running around and collecting shellfish you know there's a tendency to maybe cinematize it a little bit too much especially in my head you know but it's it's so sweet yeah and so it's like being able to inject data with this this empathy and sort of like data driven empathy and and narrative hello human i am engaging in data-driven empathy (laughs) again teach me to love still single and that's (laughs) but it's something that i i think is really is is really incredible and so you know i think about these these times where like what what i studied in school was not that long ago in the grand scheme of things. And even that feels detached. But you, when you're dealing with things in the the Paleolithic or before or like before anatomically modern humans, before Homo sapiens, like it's this like the the sorts of the enormity of of what you're what you're dealing with and what you're studying and what you're actually saying um, is, is just staggering to me. And that yeah. it's this idea that like, it's a range of a hundred thousand years that this that these this set of prints can be dated to in Europe, or in yeah. in North America it's five thousand years. And like think about all the things that have happened in the past five thousand years, and it's not yeah. like we we if you think about today that was three thousand ish BC, right? Like, and so like that's like you think about uh, yeah, so that's from the, the first like the first use of writing and arguably the first empire like that was around then that's that's an incredible distance we've gone and it's not like we lived as as a as a species in suspended animation for for 10,000 years for 50,000 years like there were things no, we happening don't pause and wait for the next thing yeah, the next it's fossil. like oh we've got like musterian tools let's just hang back until somebody comes up with the next ones like it's something that like it's it's just it's really incredible to me that there are all these lives that are being lived and it's hard to capture moments of life and and lives in the archaeological record and especially that that long ago and so yeah. it's it's always just very evocative to find that 3.6 yeah. million years <laughs> so old <laughs> what a rush what a rush i know Oh my God! If you want to listen to us and aren't listening to us right now, 
Hey, if you how'd you if do you that? Follow B, in our you can find us on yes. If you want to follow in our footprints, you can find us on SoundCloud, um, iTunes, or I think it's Apple Podcasts now, uh, Google Play, Stitcher, and wherever you get your podcasts. And you can follow us on Facebook at The Dirt Podcast. We'll have our show notes up there so you can read more. On Twitter, we're at Dirt Podcast. And on Instagram, we're at The Dirt Pod. Uh, shoot us an email at thedirtpodcast at gmail.com. And we will hit you next week. Yeah, and please consider contributing on our Patreon, yeah. which is at www.patreon.com slash thedirtpodcast. If you like this show, if you like what we're doing, uh, think about becoming a dirtbag. By contributing, not in your actions day to day. Anyway, subscribe. Listen to us. Follow. Join. We love you. Bye. Bye. Bye.